Well, Sasha, let's start off. Uh, maybe you could tell me a little bit about yourself. Yeah. So, um, gosh, where do I start? Um, I am uh, born and raised in Boston, um, lived in Chicago for six years and relocated um, back home to Boston, uh, fun fact, a month before COVID. So I, I like to consider myself a, a trendsetter in that way. Um, but uh, started off in recruitment about 15 years ago in staffing. Um, prior to that, I was a mental health counselor and a substance abuse counselor in a max security prison um, and spent some time uh, working in psychiatric care um, before, again, finding recruitment. Um, the, the common denominator for me has always been um, people and, um, you know, the psychology behind uh, what makes folks tick and um, like I said, fell into recruiting and have been, um, I've done both uh, executive search um, and then have been in-house for several years, um, spent the last 10 years in high tech, high growth. Um, so yeah, uh, now I'm at Active Campaign. I oversee global talent acquisition, um, including early in career talent operations, uh, which includes coordination, sourcing, um, and then full cycle recruitment um, as well. That's awesome. Well, that was quite a career change for you, but I guess it all makes sense. It's aligned with, you know, your purpose and, and what you're trying to do, which ultimately is help people. Um, so that's awesome. Um, so now you're at Active Campaign. The company has grown quite a bit since you've been there. Can you tell me, I guess, a little bit about the company? What do you guys do? How many employees do you have? Just general background. Yeah. So Active Campaign, um, we are about a little under a thousand employees now worldwide. When I started six years ago, we were about 120 employees, purely solely in Chicago, rather. Now we have um, hubs in Dublin, Ireland, Sydney, Australia. Um, Brazil, um, Costa Rica, uh, we just actually um, opened that entity this week, which is super exciting. Um, Active Campaign, uh, we are um, the world's most positively reviewed marketing automation platform in the world. Like I said, um, we have 180,000 customers globally um, in 170 uh, countries. Um, so we focus on, on um, helping um, uh, small teams power big businesses. Um, so, so that ranges from, you know, small business to, to, um, you know, upwards of mid market, et cetera. But our, our bread and butter has historically been on the small business side. Um, we are industry agnostic. So, um, you know, the, the industries that we support kind of run the gamut, um, with a heavy emphasis on consulting. Um, so super interesting, a lot of, um, optionality, which has afforded us a lot of success through some, turbulent uh, market conditions, you know, in the past. Um, we, uh, yeah, we're, so we're in the SaaS space. Um, we um, uh, have been, like I said, been growing kind of tremendously um, over the six, the six years that I've been here, um, which has been a really wild, exciting uh, ride. Yeah, no kidding. 120 to close to a thousand people is pretty yeah. crazy in a yeah. six year span. Um, when you were brought on at 120 people, what did the talent acquisition team look like at that point in time? Yeah, so talent acquisition, um, we were leveraging a lot of staffing firms. Um, there was one in-house um, recruitment partner. Um, so I was brought in to oversee and build out the greater uh, talent function. Um, and, uh, at that time I, so when I immediately started, I brought in a couple of folks that I had worked with previously. I worked for a company before this, that, um, that had some unfortunate circumstances, laid off quite a bit of folks, 
Um, and so I took some of those folks with me. Um, so had a talent acquisition um, uh, manager partner on the tech side, um, and then uh, continued to grow the team out to build a um, sourcing coordination model um, that I, I leveraged um, as my farming system, right? To, to grow and groom um, recruitment internally. Um, so again, when I started, there was one recruiter um, and uh, built the team out from there. And today, the, uh, the the entirety of the talent function globally is around 15 people. Oh, wow. And is that all reporting up into you? Yes. Yep. Got it. And what's the makeup of that team today between those 15 folks? So I have um, two full cycle um, TA uh, managers, one overseeing the tech and product side, the other oversees um, go-to-market uh, GNA recruitment, right? Um, and I have an early in career recruiting manager as well who oversees um, the internship programs, the rotational programs, um, you, you know, all, all of the different um, types of programs that uh, are under the early in career umbrella. Um, you know, apprenticeships, et cetera. And then um, I have a talent operations team. Um, they, uh, that includes our sourcers, coordinators, and then um, more traditional uh, talent ops. Their role is to really focus on maximizing the work that the recruitment team is doing. Um, I've only had an ops function for a year and a half, and it's been a game changer for me, honestly. Um, I attribute that to to the team that I have in place, honestly, um, but uh, it's it's a really strong addition to um, to full cycle recruitment for sure. I've been hearing a lot more about that lately with you know some of the faster growing companies and then building out this talent ops function. How did you know you were at the point in which you needed to put people in that type of role, and how did you know where to start? Yeah, so basically, um, I had done a ton of uh, research and ex had a, a ton of exploratory conversations with folks in the market that, um, or in my network rather, that I know it had a lot of success in building ops functions from ground up. And um, so so had a lot of data points in terms of, you know, when is the right time? And frankly, what I determined was there doesn't need to be a right time per se. I think it's all about, um, you know, ultimately the, the goals of the organization um, and the desire to professionalize um, a, a lot of systems and processes. And, um, you know, what I realized in, in taking a big step back is, I was building out kind of a, a sheet of, you know, what are all the components in, of, of talent operations that the, rec the full cycle recruitment team is doing now? Owning systems, you know, reporting, talent brands, uh, you name it, right? Um, and uh, as, we, as we continue to grow as an organization, um, there are things that were becoming more and more critical, such as, um, you know, data integrity, right? Mm -hmm. uh, and so, uh, we had aggressive hiring needs. Um, and ultimately, I felt like in order for us to get to that next phase, um, we needed to really focus in on operationalizing uh, what we were doing in order to get more out of the recruitment partners. So in theory, it's great. It's a great opportunity for the recruitment partners at first to, to um, really dip their toes in different parts of, of, of the function getting exposure to the branding side and reporting and all that stuff. But at the end of the day, we really want them to focus on being people, people, right. And, and, and focusing on the candidate experience and the full, full, um, you know, candidate journey. Right. So, yeah. um, you know, it was a little bit daunting finding or building the talent ops function. Cause there are a lot of, um, uh, different ways to approach building it out. And, and, um, it is a more innovative, um, function and up and coming, 
but um, I uh, I was really fortunate to find the the senior manager that I have on the team today, and she has been, um, like I said, a game changer for sure. And I think to your point, it then allows your recruiting partners to really focus on where their skills are best utilized, which is working with people um, and performing, you know, the activities that are necessary to connect with the best candidates versus focusing on things like data integrity systems, you know, backend admin types of processes. And so, you know, I see the talent ops function very similar to a rev ops function within a business, which I'm, you know, sure you guys have as well um, on the go-to-market side of the company. Um, And it just helps everybody across the revenue org be much more efficient and much more productive Mm -hmm. um, without scaling the headcount of all the individual contributors um, on that go-to-market team. And so I think similarly on the talent ops side, you know, building out, once you get to a certain size, building out that talent ops function allows all the people you already have in those recruitment roles to be a lot more efficient and be spending Mm -hmm. their time um, where they're adding the most value for the business. And then that means as a company, um, you don't have to go hire a bunch more TA people um, just because you have all these things to do. You've got these specialists that are really optimizing the whole system um, and ensuring that the people that you have, you know, are operating at, you know, full capacity, which I think is really, really important, um, you know, especially now and going forward as companies look to just be, you know, as efficient, capitally efficient as they can possibly be, lean as they can possibly be, high emphasis on profitability. Um, those things don't just apply to the revenue org; they also apply to the talent function as well. For sure, absolutely. And you know, again, there are things even even data cleanliness, right? And and um, consistency, like you know, the the data in is only you know the data coming out is only as good as the the, the data going in, right? So somebody to like obsess over systems, uh, the tech stack, even like owning um, uh, uh, partnerships with the different like you know uh vendors that we work with and and vendor management all that stuff it's it's been um just tremendous honestly um so i i highly recommend it uh if if it's right you know for for the stage in which a company's at um i never knew what i was missing until uh until <laughs> i started the function so um so you guys have obviously you know grown a lot over the 6 years you've been there i'm curious if you could break down or if you recognize like there were very different phases of growth, like maybe going from, you know, 120 to 200 to 250 was very different from going from 500 to 750. Did you see any differences at the different, you know, phases the company was at when it comes to recruiting? Even from a branding perspective, when I started, we, nobody knew who we were. Even in Chicago, nobody knew of us. In fact, I didn't even know who we were until I got introduced to the CEO um, and I was like, oh, this company's got something really special, right? Like, this is interesting. Um, we weren't getting much inbound at all, right? To fast forward to, you know, today, right? Or even at 500 employees, we were getting, you know, folks from from competitors applying directly, uh, HubSpot, Salesforce, et cetera, right? So from a branding perspective, for sure. And obviously that was due to, you know, the recruitment team uh, being very intentional with with their outreach and generating demand, building that brand, et cetera. Um, and then from a process and procedure perspective, um, there's just generally, uh, it's been an evolution uh, as it relates to the uh, sophistication um, and, and just there's, there's um, a more obvious need for the balance of professionalization and speed, right? So, um, you know, of course, as you grow and scale, take in more, more funding and all this stuff, like 
um, you have to, uh, again, you have to focus on that professionalization side. Um, I've noticed also, um, you know, as we continue to elevate the state of the, the executive leadership team, we're bringing people in that have a really um, much more experience on on the recruiting side and and um, coming in with stronger point of views and really helping to just generally um, think about, uh, you know, what is needed to, because the truth is a lot of our leadership team hasn't gone from, or not a lot of them, but some of them haven't, haven't gone beyond, you know, 500, et cetera. So like, uh, bringing those those um, new executives in and and really diversifying the level of experience of the leadership team helps to gain some buy-in um, mm. for recruitment as it relates to how we go about um, enforcing some some uh, processes. And then um, even from a uh, evaluation perspective, um, like a candidate uh, you know evaluation, the the bar continues to raise as you grow, right? And frankly, the people that were to get you from zero to 100 may not be the right candidates to get you from 100 to five, et cetera, et cetera. So we've introduced more, um, like I said, more sophistication and specifically on the evaluation front, um, we recently introduced um, what we're calling a high grade interviewer uh, as in a more objective way to um, to go about assessing for the behaviors that we know have, have uh, driven a lot of success internally. Um, it also is a way to like mitigate bias and um, really intentionally focus on um, or remove the the risk of assessing for for qualities that frankly don't predict on the job success. So um, again, just over time, um, you know, uh, e even how we've opened new regions. The the first region that we went into, or, or I should say, when we opened Australia, our first international uh, presence. I mean, scrappy is uh, is an understatement for how we entered that market, and it, we did it, and we did it well, right? But um, now um, it, it's a completely different beast uh, in, in terms of how we enter a market with again more intentionality and sophistication and expertise uh, is just um, has been really cool to watch. That's awesome. Um, I'm curious, you know, you mentioned about how you know some people that maybe got you from you know, we're right for the stage of zero to 100 employees, but maybe not for 100 to 200 and so on and so forth. How do you create that feedback loop with your managers and executive leadership to know, you know, A, when is the time to go look for new people to bring in to get us to this next phase of the business? And then B, know what to look for in these new people because you don't have people like them today on the team. So to be honest with you, a lot of a lot of this relies on one how you build your talent function to represent or your talent partner function to represent a more um, proactive strategic uh, partnership, right? So, in order to even get to have those conversations to, to have those conversations that you're talking about, um, there needs to be a trust. Um, and credibility as it relates to the recruitment partner. Otherwise, they will not be pulled into conversations related to, for instance, succession planning, right? Or talent gap analysis. Like, um, I think the more involved the talent partners can be um, in some of those conversations, the more we can get ahead in terms of how we're, um, how we're proactively recruiting, especially on the passive talent side, right? Mm -hmm. So, um, to me, it's it's it starts with 
how your talent partners show up, Josh. You know, um, I think a lot of talent functions, unfortunately, have the reputation of, of being order takers or super reactive. To me, that's a difference between a recruiter and a talent acquisition partner. So um, I don't know if that's answering your question, but I think... Um, yeah, you know, it does. My, you know, my follow up to that would be how do you how do you get that talent acquisition partner to build that trust and to be involved earlier and to create that you know credibility for the talent function so they become part of those conversations more naturally? It starts with hiring the right people, right, um, and setting expectations up front around um, just like what the like. For me in particular, I very much believe that um, recruitment, and this is like obvious as a recruiting leader, but like recruiters, recruitment should have a seat at the table, right? If, if you want to focus on your talent strategy. And, um, you know, when I, when I hire for recruiters, or when I, I should say when I did early on, even recruit, hiring for recruitment coordinators, giving them exposure, um, and pulling them into conversations that they may not have ever been um, exposed to in the past with hiring managers and executives, right? And um, and really giving them the space to fail, right? I think um, a lot of, unfortunately, a lot of recruiters um, or a lot of hiring managers and the like treat the recruitment function um, you know, as the support function they are, right? And that's, hey, I have a role, um, can you fill it, right? I have been very intentional with hiring people that I know um, have specific qualities. And some of those qualities include like the ability to push back, right? And um, I think the more, like the other thing I, I'm very intentional about is as soon as a recruiting partner starts, they don't own a rack for at least three to four weeks so they can really get a sense for the company, um, the inner workings of the company, how the different teams operate, who the hiring managers are. Um, and that way, when they hit the ground running, they have a better sense for what's going to work. And then then they have more confidence to push back on, on certain mm -hmm. hiring decisions, right? So look, yeah. at the end of the day, Josh, they can be as great as they are, as they want to be in, in, in uh, on the strategic side, but the proof is in the pudding, right? So Obviously, they have to make a few good hires, um, and by good hires, I mean they are um, folks that uh, you know are, are culture carriers. They're driving top performance internally. They have strong tenure. They're getting promoted, right? And then the the more that recruiter um, you know owns Rex for the hiring manager, the more credibility they have, and they they end up coming to me saying, "Hey, can I work with so and so again? I want to work with that recruiter again." Right. Mm -hmm. So um, to me, it's just like really creating the space for your recruiters um, to show up as strategic business partners um, like that has that's how we set the tone right off the bat uh, when I started. Yep. And that makes a lot of sense. I actually see a lot of parallels, I, I think, in the marketing function in how it relates to the overall like go to market function in a business. What I see a lot of times is. Uh, you know, you'll have sales and functions like sales, maybe customer success, and they think they need something for marketing. And it's like, throw it over the fence, marketing, we need this, this, and this. And marketing is like, okay, we'll work on, work on this for you, turn it around, ship it back to you. But I think to your point, the, the point you bring up about, you know, talent acquisition partners need, needing to be able to push back. I see a lot of parallels with, 
you know, really good marketing leaders need to push back and ask the right questions and seek to understand, okay, I hear you have something you want to solve. Let's really unpack that from a strategic standpoint because marketing shouldn't just be like an order taker for another part of the business. They should be working together to figure out ultimately what are you trying to solve here um, and what outcome do you desire and how can we help you work to that? And I think it's, it's very similar, at least what I'm hearing from you is in a lot of companies you know, all parts of the org will say, I've got a job I need to fill, toss it over to the recruiter, yep. get them to fill the job. Um, but it requires somebody, you know, with the right business acumen, um, you know, and the right discipline to be able to push back and say, hey, let's take a step back. Let's, you know, talk through this because maybe the hiring manager doesn't even realize they need something completely different than what they're telling the recruiter Absolutely. to go do. Absolutely. And a strategic partner can help them figure that out. Absolutely. It's also curiosity. Um, I think the big thing you just hit on was like a business acumen and a general understanding of, like I said, the inner workings of an organization, mm -hmm. um, having that enterprise um, mindset, right? Mm -hmm. I always say like, the, the one of the things I love about internal TA is that we are incentivized to make the right hires, right? The right hires um, that ultimately, you know, stay, um, again, drive the business forward, all this stuff. We are not... Um, you know, we're not incentivized to put a butt in a seat, you know, and that's that's a really powerful thing. Yeah. And you've been on both sides of that, right? Because you were on the staffing side where it's, you know, all about placing candidates, placing them quickly. And that directly ties into revenue, you yep. know, but internally, um, you know, it also ties to revenue when you do hire somebody. But it's more about, you know, the lifetime value of that employee for the business and getting the person that's going to be there for a while is going to be productive while they're there. Um and so it's it's a little bit of a different mentality because there's no handoff and you wipe your hands clean and you move on right. to the next rack. It's you're you're living in the business every single day. And part of building the credibility with the hiring managers is finding those people. Um, absolutely. Absolutely. So the the other thing that I'm really proud of on this team is like um, the the success around um, like proactively sourcing and hiring um, directly versus partnering with, with agencies and with all due respect, like there's a time and a place, but, um, you know, like when I started, we were, we were spending, you know, a lot of money on staffing firms, right? So being able to bring that in house and, and making it really repeatable is a reflection on, um, the, you know, uh, the recruiter effectiveness, um, and, and that I'm really proud of as well. Yeah. And, and it's a good point. You know, I think, a lot of companies, you know, might always still need staffing partners to help supplement what they're doing internally. But there does become a point in time as a business where you have to build that sourcing discipline, that proactive outreach pipeline generation. And, and it kind of goes back to earlier in the conversation, you were mentioning the early stages of active campaign when you joined at 120 people versus where you're at now is when you came in, people maybe didn't necessarily know who you were when you had an open job. And so, you know, I'm wondering, do you feel like that was one of the biggest things you built in early in the talent acquisition function is that sense of proactive recruitment? Mm -hmm. um, and then, you know, then as you scale, you make that repeatable. And then when you start getting the compounding effects of now people do know who you are, it all starts to work. And that really is what allows you to hire as many people as you need to hire in such a short period of time. And if you never really built that up front, you'd probably still be relying on those staffing partners and be paying a boatload of money to scale at the way yeah, you guys have been able for sure. to scale. For sure. The other thing I would say that I set the tone for early on is just a 
emphasis on the qualitative side of TA, right? I think a lot of TA leaders um, really put a heavier emphasis on on the quanti- on the um, quantitative side, which you need a balance, of course, right? Like if, if no one's making hires, then frankly, you're not doing your job and that's you're highly exposed, right? Um, but the qualitative side um, for me is is where um, we've really been able to focus, which again, I think has yielded um, you know stronger relationships and partnerships with the with the hiring managers. Um, and that is, you know, because at the end of the day, you can hire a hundred people, but if eighty of them leave, like, does it really matter, right? So yeah. uh, I've, I've really been able to, and again, with the help of the ops team, I've really been able to lean into um, the the stuff that for me is is um, really, really meaningful. Yeah, that's great. And, you know, one of the things I was looking at is on the Active Campaign Careers page yesterday, and I was reading about the AC way. Mm-hmm. Um, so maybe you could tell me a little bit more about, you know, generally, what is the AC way? And it seemed like based on the description on your website, you've really built the hiring process around um, that concept to bring people that align with that into the business. So maybe you could share some details on that as well. The AC way is inclusive of our company values and the behaviors that inform those values. So essentially the the behaviors that really actualize the values, because every company has value, not every company, but a lot of companies have values um, and and sometimes those values can be misinterpreted, right? And so we've been very intentional and transparent with, okay, well, we know we have these values that we live and breathe by, but like, what does that what does that actually mean here, right? So um, what we what we've done is we built um, a framework that it's it's essentially a hiring development and, and performance framework that bleeds through the entirety of of the the um, employee journey. So it's it starts with okay, let's let's be intentional with how we assess people right off the bat against these behaviors. Um, so we know, you know, we're, we're with more of that standardization and structure up front, we're driving a, a higher correlation between an interview and on the job success. When they get in, let's help them to capitalize and, and tap into some of those behaviors by f- furthering, um, the, you know, developing them um, in those areas. And then on the performance side, it's, um, you know, heavily uh, the, the performance reviews, annual reviews, et cetera, are centered around um, those behaviors. And again, how those behaviors play out will vary, you know, from, from team to team. For instance, the talent acquisition team, our customers are candidates and hiring managers or stakeholders, right? Um, we don't touch the end user. So how we're, we're um, uh, thinking about some of this from a customer perspective is a little bit unique, but in theory, if you peel back the onion, um, it's all the same. So the the framework was built um, from, you know, a number of conversations um, with folks that have been really, really successful in the business. They've been there for many years. They've seen non-traditional, non-linear um, career paths internally. They're product experts. Um, they exemplify the AC way. And so through having those conversations and working hand in hand with the CEO, um, th- that's how this kind of evolved uh, over time. Yeah, that's awesome. Because you hear a lot about companies saying, you know, interview for your core values, interview for your core values, but nobody really talks about how do you do that, right? It's like, it's, so I think a lot of people probably ask questions to just see, does the candidate believe in this type of value or they align with this type of value? But that doesn't really give you, of course, 
you know, what's a candidate going to say? Yes. Um, right. And right. so, you know, is it is it really like a behavioral interview structure that you've implemented to ask questions, to assess for those behaviors that then align with the values? Yep. So what we did was we um, we identified a, a department nominated um, you know, high performing individuals at all different levels and regions throughout the company um, and train them on these behaviors and how to assess against these behaviors um, through, you know, specific question sets and, and, and optimal responses. Um, that group of folks, uh, they're called high graders and they're, they're introduced um, at a certain level um, for, for roles uh, and um, they're an objective uh an objective um, interviewer. So, in the so they're not they're department agnostic, right? So they they shouldn't be in the same uh, chain of command as the role, um, and they're going in, you know, with with less bias in terms of, um, you know, this person's not going to be working directly for them, right? So so they're purely going in with the mindset of, I want to make sure this person is going to be successful here, right? And again, a lot of this is is um, centered around transparency and just hey, candidate, like, this is how we roll. You know, this is, these are our expectations. For one, like, does this make sense for you? Do you fit into this or not fit in, but can you get down with some of this, right? Does, does some of this mm -hmm. fit into how you operate? Um, but more so, um, does this excite you? And do you feel like the way we operate is going to help to elevate you in your career? So it's mutually beneficial, right? So at the end of the day, we all want the same goal. We want people to join and stay and do good work, right? I like the concept of bringing somebody in who's not a hiring manager and also isn't another individual contributor on the team that they'll be working with because you get this completely different perspective. You know, you could take this really objective approach with somebody like that versus a hiring manager or an individual contributor who might have their own personal incentives or biases, um, you know, because this person's going to be working side by side with them. And honestly, you know, the, the, this type of inter, uh, interview framework is only as good as you train the interviewers. I mean, it, it, um, it's, it's uh, a stressful interview for candidates um, because of the, the heavy behavioral component. Um, so I think, you know, it, it takes like a deep understanding of what these, these behaviors actually mean and how to assess for them. And then like extracting information, reading between the lines, connecting the dots. Um, and then, you know, really, um, kind of being able to to craft a really meaningful assessment. It's it's hard. And, you know, frankly, we're only less than a year in. So, um, you know, we're still iterating uh, and identifying areas uh, in which we can strengthen the program and make it more meaningful. But we don't we don't have enough data to look back yet and say, you know, this has been successful and here's how or why. Mm -hmm. uh, so, you know, a lot of companies have tried to implement something similar and have failed. Um, I think um, a lot of companies that have this type of interviewer will will um, provide, or the, the interviewer will have vetoing power. Um, if you look at a company like Amazon, they have the Bar Razor program. Um, the Bar Razors do hold vetoing power. So there's a lot of different um, iterations of it out there. Uh, but for us, this is this is what we found um, you know might work best. And how are you going about training the interviewers? In-house, uh, homegrown uh, training uh, module in partnership with uh, the L&D team. So um, myself and our CEO uh, lead the training for, for that group. Um, and uh, again, in partnership with, with L&D to ensure that you know, the, the, um, the way in which um, folks are um, obtaining the information you know, is, is how it should be and is inclusive of different learning styles and um, 
you know, beyond that, it's it's a really um, look at the end of the day, Josh, and I'm sure you'll agree with this. Recruiting is so much of an art, you know. So um, I think a lot of times, uh, you know, we can train and train and train on behavioral based interviewing. But the reality is there's there's not enough predictability right in in the in the interview process so a lot of it comes through ex- time and in, in interviewing and role playing right yep um because uh you know again that the the nature of our product are people and people aren't predictable so i think it's re- you know repetition i mean i'm a baseball background you need at bats right you need a, yep. you need swings at the plate and yep. you know i've talked with some other folks about that i think that's one of the biggest challenges in training hiring managers hiring managers or the you know high graders that you guys have and trying to get them up to speed on being a great interviewer is in practice like they might only do this once a year mm-hmm. right um and so like the real life at bats might not be there versus you know let's say a talent acquisition partner that's talking to candidates multiple candidates every single day a hiring manager or a high grader isn't going to have necessarily that real world exposure mm-hmm. um and so that's where the training and consistent reinforcement and the role playing like you said mm-hmm. really comes into play um to get them to where they need to be so when they get into the you know real life scenario with a candidate they're well equipped um just yeah, because and- they're not getting all those shots throughout the year Right. And how do we create multipliers, right? Like the people that we know are really, really skilled interviewers um, and have, have seen a lot of success in, in hiring here. Um, how do we repeat some of that and, and leverage their expertise and training other folks? You know, so I think, um, you know, there's no magic bullet, um, but I think it's just like identifying the people that you really, that are the culture carriers per se. I mean, at the end of the day, we're not trying to maintain our culture. We want to diversify and expand upon it. But, you know, the people that really directionally understand what works here um, can test some of that. And, and look, I'm a realist. I mean, the truth is, um, I said this earlier, I'm going to say it again, the correlation between an interview and on-the-job success is low, right? Um, and that's because we're spending a couple hours with one person. That's it, a couple hours, Right. And each interviewer is spending 30 minutes to 45 minutes with them only. So that's just like the nature of it. And then the subjectivity, the inherent biases, et cetera, et cetera. Um, so, so by, again, uh, introducing more structure and standardization, um, we're, we're increasing the, the, the correlation just a little bit, you know, yeah. um, which is great. That's a huge win. You know. Yeah. Yeah. And to your point, look, a good hire is not somebody that also like, of course, you want them to come in and be able to do the job they're asked Mm -hmm. to do right now. But as a scaling organization, you also have to be able to look for the qualities and behaviors that help you somewhat predict how they will perform as the company grows and will they be able to grow, um, you know, and adapt with that. And that creates even more unpredictability because most interview processes are really built around the point this point in time right yeah. now but yeah. that gives you such a small window into what the candidate is actually capable of yeah. and so that becomes a really big challenge yeah and something a, a skill or behavior or competency whatever that's super super um valuable at active campaign is um being a utility player and and um being able to kind of switch lanes if you will um, and, and some of the people that have been the most successful here started in, let's say, customer support, you know, eight years ago and now are at the C level. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, and so so, you know, I think um, a good hire may be defined differently in every company. Um, but 
you know, the, the reality is like, to your point, like we, we, um, we ultimately, you know, all have the same goal, but you know, how that plays out will, will vary. Um, but yeah, that utility player mindset, I think is like just invaluable. And I want to be clear too, like the, the high grade portion of the interview is, is, you know, carries a lot of weight, but at the end of the day, like we need the person to actually do the job. So of course yeah. there's a heavy emphasis on testing for the functional depth as well. And, and those people are, you know, that those assessments are coming from people that are like practitioners per se, or, or subject matter experts, um, they're, yeah. they're testing for, um, the core competencies of the role or comp uh, uh, role competencies. Yeah, 100%. Look, like you said, you only have, let's say, a few hours of a candidate's time at most, right? Especially when you're competing against other organizations. At the end of the day, like time to hire matters for the candidate experience mm -hmm. and whether or not you'll be able to, you know, get the best candidate on board. So you have to figure out ways that you can, as efficiently as possible, gather as many data points um, about that candidate to give you a higher chance of success at predicting whether or not you know, they'll be a great hire for the organization. And that's all, all what it comes down to. And you just nailed it. I mean, that's a huge, that was a huge um, impetus for, for the, the framework like this was how can we drive more predictability, right? Um, and I think like once we have enough data, we're going to look back um, to identify any patterns um, throughout, you know, the some of these interviews in order to see like, um, you know, some of that, does that some of that, the predictability um, actually come, you know, come to life? Like, has that, has it worked? You know, mm -hmm. like we just don't know yet. Yeah. Uh, but we are a culture of iteration. And so, you know, again, we push this this framework out imperfectly um, and we are continuing to chip away and, and adjust as we need to. Um, but uh, it's been it's been a really um, interesting, um, like I said, evolution of like just how we go about assessing talent here. And what was the in the mantra you mentioned earlier in the call with your customers? There's a statement about helping small businesses, something big businesses, something yep. like big businesses. No, we help small teams power big businesses. Sorry. <laughs> yes. Yes. Yeah. No, that. Yeah. And I think, you know, at least from in talking to you, I feel like, you know, that's obviously what you're trying to help with your customers. But I feel mm -hmm. like you, you really embrace that philosophy internally as a business as well as you guys have grown from you know a smaller company to a much much bigger company but i think you embrace a lot of the things um, that a small company needs to do really well if it needs to scale right um, creating repeatability um, that's super important um, you know iterating on things and doing it quickly ensuring that you're bringing people in that are adaptable and so you know, really, as I'm talking to you, you know, and you mentioned how talent acquisition has to be a strategic part of the business, it really feels like you are working in lockstep with the rest of the organization um, and are aligned with the message that you're delivering to your customers mm -hmm. as well. And mm -hmm. so to me, that's that's really cool. And I think a sign of a business that is has really good alignment, mm -hmm. um, which is 100 percent critical if you want to grow from 100 people to 1,000 people in six years. Oh, yeah, no, and you summed it up perfectly. I'll say the other thing I'm really fortunate is, is uh, I have a lot of um, strong tenure on the TA team as well. So, you know, they've they've continued to build upon that credibility and, and it's only getting, you know, stronger. Um, but look, at the end of the day, um, we are hyper obsessed with customer experience. Um, and that is how we've built our platform. It's It's intuitive. Um, it's easy to use, um, you know, and, and I think like 
as we think about how we can translate some of that on the recruitment side, it's, um, you know, how do we go about differentiating ourselves from a talent branding perspective, right? And how do we create a memorable experience for folks that best case, you know, let's say they don't get a job here, they're going to, they're going to run and tell their friends, hey, you should, you should look at active campaign. Yeah. And I look, you said it right in, right in the introduction when you, when I asked you about active campaign, I, I can't remember exactly the phrasing you used, but one of the first things you said when describing it was something along the lines of like, we're the most highly rated or top rated. Yep. And so clearly customer experience and how your customers view and are satisfied with the platform is something that um, is very important across the entire business and part of, you know, the DNA of the company. And I mm -hmm. think that carries over into the talent function and the way that, you know, your candidates become your customers in some kind of way, right? And you yep. want them to view your talent function equally as, as highly um, as your customers view the business. Absolutely. Because whether they're a candidate or a customer of you today or tomorrow, um, you know, your brand, your reputation is everything. Not to mention a lot of the, the folks that we hire, our candidates that we bring in become our hiring managers and even more of a stakeholder, you know? Yeah. So, um, yes. And and to um, to reiterate, like we, what I said earlier, we are the um, most positively reviewed marketing automation platform in the world. And, um, you know, what we look at, uh, uh, um, even in recruitment, is uh, candidate satisfaction is CSAT, Right. Um, because, uh, again, it's, it's, um, it all kind of goes together. And I think, um, as a, as a, in an effort to, to really, um, keep that, uh, theme going as part of who we are at our core, um, we have to think about how that, um, correlates to what we do. Right. And that's why we have a talent recruitment or, um, coordination team. Right. And, their job is to really, again, obsess over um, the experience that the candidate's having. Um, so it's it's all kind of um, it's all kind of um, you know pieced up. But at the end of the day, everyone works together to create that seamless um, experience that favors speed and quality. You know. Yep, love it. Well, Sasha, this was awesome. I learned so much. Thank you for taking the time to speak with me, and I'm sure all of our viewers are going to get a lot of value from this episode. Josh, thank you for having me. It was so fun. Appreciate it. Thanks.